millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If I bleed tonight, if I am sad tonight, I don't have a job to Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of the Power Slam Podcast here on Patreon. Uh, if, you, if you're on Patreon, you get it 24 hours early. If not, you get it on the main feed on Friday. My name is Kenny, joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin Finn. We're experiencing a little bit of good weather before all the, the rain and dampness comes in. Well, exactly, yes. That's it. And we're uh, we're celebrating it, Kenny. And we're celebrating my birthday, 53 today. We are. I mean, now the thing is, remember, Finn, Vince McMahon stepped in the ring to have his first official match uh, in his 53rd year on Earth. He was still 52. But, you know, the time's still there for you, Finn. I'm sure there'll be indie shows in the UK that would take you up on it. If you <laughs> want to make that heroic, a man in your physical condition... You know, I'm sure you'd be fine at it. See some of the disgraces that are in it right now. Couldn't do any worse than some of them. Well, are you yeah. enjoying your birthday? Well, I am, yes. But and, and as Harry Callahan, Dirty Harry, famously said in Magnum Force, a man has to know his limitations. A man has to know his limitations, and I know mine. And wrestling is beyond my limitations. It's beyond my abilities, and I have no desire to ever darken a wrestling ring and inflict an audience upon whatever incompetence, ineptitude and, you know, abysmal moves or sequences that I would put together. I've actually been at shows where I've seen people 
who wanted to be wrestlers like little minor celebrities do little angles and things like that i'm sure you've seen this as well kenny yeah yeah never pretty it just never is no i mean you find that sports people tend to do a little bit better because they are used to the level of training but yeah it's, it's, it's hard i mean i remember when i remember about a year ago or something i was at a gym belonging to a, a wrestler who is currently employed by WWE, but he and I were just kind of messing around and, and he was getting me to do flat back bumps and stuff. You know, no no recording of it and there was no plans to do anything with it. It's very tough. Even taking those bumps is just very tough and, you know, learn how to try to run the ropes. It's all just, I mean, it's insane how people are able to do this and make it look good. So. Well, definitely. I mean, it is really, really difficult. And um, it's always been one of my pet peeves that, you know, people don't respect what wrestlers do and how, you know, how difficult, you know, this form of entertainment is to do successfully. And you're mm-hmm. right, even running the ropes. I mean, I've done interviews with people just talking about how difficult that is and had like long answers saying, yeah, it really hurts. You back or bruises open, just taking a flat back bump. It's shocking just how much, you know, it just knocks the wind out of you at first. But it's, uh, yeah, pro wrestling, it's, um, you know, it should receive a hell of a lot more respect than it does. And people who do it definitely should. For sure. And it's ironic that, you know, your your quote there from Dirty Harry was about, you know, knowing your your limitations. But weekly, we seem to talk about people who do not know their limitations. And we seem to, to talk about how they really go out of their, their zone. But listen, we're going to talk about Raw that happened on Monday. But before, um, before that, we did say we would just talk a little bit more about Antonio Inoki. And I know you've written about him for the next issue of Inside the Ropes magazine. So I just wanted to ask you, what do you think, for a kind of podcast summary... What is the legacy of Antonio Inoki, do you think? Um, well, I mean, he was he was the most famous Japanese wrestler globally ever. Um, I mean, this was partly because of the Ali match in 76, which, you know, was at the time seen as a, a calamity, a debacle, because it was supposed to be a work. And then Ali decided, no, people are going to see through this, the world's media here. You know, they're already doubting the legitimacy of this match because they realize that Anoki is a pro wrestler. So, you know, if I participate in a worked match with this guy, my reputation will be, you know, forever ruined. I'll be I'll be I'll be finished as a credible sportsman. So, you know, if I'm you know having this match and pretending it's a sporting contest when it's actually a work. You know, you can understand how, you know, the damage that would have done to Ali's reputation and career and money generating appeal and all the things he was going to do post wrestling. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's very famous for that, of course. Um, But I mean, in pro wrestling, he was a huge star. Obviously, the biggest star in New Japan pro wrestling was the founder. Um, I mean, he was a guy that came up with all these trailblazing pioneering concepts, like the famous... Um, angle when he had Tiger Jeet Singh attack him outside uh, on the street on Tokyo Street, I think it was, and um, so they did this, you know, worked fight. Um, you were Tiger Jeet Singh attacking Anoki when I think Anoki was out with his wife, um, but it was <laughs> they kind of sold it like it was a real fight, mm-hmm. and that was all to promote their upcoming series of matches. And at that time, they got away with it because kayfabe was so strong. Um, and pro wrestling was reported on in the Japanese press as though it were a real sporting contest. 
Um, and just coming up with all these like mix matches to try and make himself uh, bigger than wrestling and to uh, project the image that he was this real fighter. And he would have these matches with guys from judo and other sports. Um, was it, um, I think it was, I think his name was actually Everett Eddie, not Eddie Everett. I think it's actually Everett Eddie. And he was a karate uh, black belt and he was brought in for a match with Anoki and Anoki beat him. Um, so he did all these mixed matches to try and um, communicate to his audience that he was, you know, pro wrestling was the toughest form of fighting and that a pro wrestler could beat um, a karate fighter or a judoka or, or, you know, the idea, of course, was, you know, he was going to beat Anoki. Sorry, he was going to beat Ali in the work match. And then, you know, he would have been, you know, this biggest thing in pro wrestling history had that actually happened, had Anoki actually beaten Ali as planned. Can you imagine the boost to his reputation, Kenny? Because Ali was the most famous sportsman in the world in 1976. Everyone yeah. knew he was. So, um, you know, he was a guy who was, obviously, most of it was self-serving. And it was all about, it was careerist. It was all about making his star bigger than anyone else's. But because he was the owner and the biggest star in New Japan, New Japan Pro Wrestling, that then would have brought more eyes to the New Japan product and made, would have made that more popular. And as a result, everyone in the company would have, to some extent, benefited from it. Um, you know, post Ali, you know, there was a lot of damage to undo because his reputation took, took such a beating in that match when it was actually a shoot and it ended in a draw and people didn't understand why Ali laid on his back in the fight instead of squaring up to Ali, you know, and he was lying on his back, kicking at Ali's legs, which was, you know, obviously a legitimate fighting strategy rather than as a wrestler going up again against a boxer and taking the punches. But I mean, people didn't really understand at the time what Ali was, uh, what Anoki was doing and he left the match effectively, you know, a coward. You know, he was a guy that had, you know, fled from or avoided um, Ali's punches, wouldn't stand and fight with him. Uh, by lying on his back, he was really, you know, he left the match, you know, his reputation was greatly damaged by the whole way that that match played out. But mm -hmm. we should point out that the rules of the Ali-Anoki fight penalised Anoki greatly. And there were so few things that he could do in that in the ring. And had the rules been more balanced, there's a very good chance that Anoki would have beaten Ali for real. But because the way I can't be bothered going through all the rules now, it's too complicated to explain. But if people <laughs> want to look them up, they'll see what I mean. I wouldn't suggest they watch the fight because it's really dull. But I mean, yeah, Anoki, he was. He was at a huge disadvantage in that fight. So anyway, after that post, Ali went about trying to rebuild his reputation and did so very successfully. Um, he reached a deal with WWF to become WWF champion in 1979. Um, the title change was not acknowledged at the time in the States, but people in Japan, everyone in Japan knew about it. The title was vacated, or rather Anoki vacated it. But in the States, Backland continued to be recognized as champion. So there was no interruption to his title reign as far as the Americans were concerned. I mean, by like 82, 83, New Japan was on fire, you know, and Anoki was there front and center. I mean, he's a huge star. 
Um, and so many people in that company were over. Um, but then there was like an embezzlement scandal and that nearly sank Anoki. Somehow he held on. Then there was lots of problems with talent like Ricky Choshu, who you know, was this rising star in New Japan, felt like he could never be the top guy because Anoki was blocking his path to the top. He quit and a bunch of his guys went with him and they jumped to all Japan. So there was all this drama around mm-hmm. Anoki constantly. In 89, he ended up in politics. You know, his popularity was such that he was, you know, elected to, I think it was the House of Councillors. And <laughs> it was Anoki, so of course, scandal and, you know, problems were never far away. But the guy's personal popularity endured and he was still that guy, you know. And, and the greatest thing that he did in terms of, you know, his image was he somehow, as the years passed, managed to turn the Ali match from a source of shame to this huge badge of honour. And like, you know, this is just how could he have pulled this off? Mm. Well, that was a no key. He was this master manipulator. I mean, the dark arts of pro wrestling doesn't really exist anymore, anymore. But in the kayfabe era, it certainly did. And these people were amazing political operators. So I think it was very fitting that Anoki actually ended up in politics, you know, because mm-hmm. he was such an amazing manipulator. He was a guy who could turn, you know, a crisis into a into a, a triumph, you know. I had, it wasn't there a story of him going over to, was it Iran or somewhere like that? He ended up working with this uh, with the state to free all these hostages. Was it Iran? I could have the wrong country there. Apologise. I'm looking at it just now. Yeah, so I mean, there was just all these things that he did, and then there was, of course, there was the uh, the nineteen ninety North Korea show, North Korea show, on which he wrestled Ric Flair, and that drew the largest crowd in the history of pro wrestling. And you know, he was, you know, a lot of it was self serving. He was very much seen as Japan's version of Hogan, and that it was all about Anoki, just as the same way it was always, nearly always, all about Hogan. Um, but you know, that was what he saw. That was who he was. And, you know, for him, it was, it was, you know, the industry was a way to make himself into the biggest star in the history of that country. And that's exactly what he did. You know, he achieved his objective. So. Well, you, well, you can read uh, a little bit about him from the top in the new issue, issue 26, that comes out later this month. And, um, yeah, in Oki's, uh, I mean, it's funny, he, he actually seems to have been able to be, the the master manipulator and sort of retain it to the end, unlike yeah. you know, say a Hogan who it just yeah. fell off a cliff. So, exactly. Um, I mean, yeah. he's a very intelligent guy with Anoki, obviously, um, and and he was actually a really good performer as well. I mean, he's watched movies and matches from the seventies and the early eighties. I mean, very athletic, um, very serious. You know, at times, I'm not saying you could believe the matches were real, but if you got your suspension of disbelief goggles on. You, you almost can. And he was, you know, very proud performer. And I think he was somebody that didn't phone it in and that the performance level was very important to him. Um, and, um, you know, maintaining his prestige and his status as the biggest star in the country was obviously crucially important to him um, because that was who he was and that was his brand. You know, I don't like using that phrase, <laughs> to, to describe a person, but it kind of sums it up. Um, um, 
Yeah, but you know, I wanted us to give him a little nod on the podcast because we said we would. Um, oh, I mean, we could talk about him for you know, and then the, we didn't even get to all the crazy craziness in the two thousands when he had the shoot compulsion and he took <laughs> New Japan down this really, you know, kind of self destructive route um, because the guy is no longer with us. So let's not talk about the really bad stuff. No, let's let's avoid that. Now, listen, before we talk about Raw, I did want to just bring up quickly um, a, a, a shot of positivity for AEW, which they've not had a lot of recently. Um, so Kathleen Finch, who is the chief lifestyle brand officer for Warner Brothers Discovery, she's one of the head honchos in the you know, Discovery merger and all that kind of stuff. Here's what she had to say to The Hollywood Reporter this week. She said, we really play in the sports space. One of the things that we're doing around sports is creating shoulder programming to hold on to those fans. AEW pulls huge numbers for us, so we're working with the wrestling team to figure out what new kind of content we can build that's not in a wrestling ring. So, I mean, that's got to be pretty good for them to hear because up until now, it's kind of been, you know, how 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 are they feeling about it? But if they're publicly sort of saying we're trying to do more stuff, is that a sign that they can sort of hope to be renewed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, overall, that's a, you know, really good, good news story, as you said. I imagine they will be renewed. I mean, but what does that mean? Does that mean we're going to see what we're going to see, like, the AEW wrestlers in a situation comedy. What does it mean, Kenny? <laughs> well, I mean, we did. We, they did have Roads to the Top, which did very well for them, for based on what they wanted it to do. So, I mean, I guess maybe there's, you know, are there any AEW wrestlers who they would follow about and do a reality show, like a Total Divas, Total Bellas thing? I'm sure there are people. I mean, you could yeah, probably follow I mean... Sammy Guevara around and Ty, <laughs> Ty Guevara now. I'm sure they, they're a bit as, as likable as syphilis, but you know, you could follow them the, around. The Sammy and Tish. Who have they upset this week? <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where if, if problems keep happening to you, eventually you need to realize you're the problem. You know, like yeah. if it's constantly happening to you. But anyway, I thought a good bit of news for AEW. I thought we should make a nod to it and. You know, we'll bring yeah. up some AEW TV stuff on what's going down next week. So we'll to get through it today, but um, yeah, good news for them. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's. I mean, I don't. I can't imagine that they want to do any more wrestling programming. I think there's more than enough fun as it is from AEW. They can't really keep up with what they're doing at the moment. I mean, Rampage to me. If I was Tony Khan. I think I'd probably like hire somebody to book Rampage for me or in conjunction with me because there's so much more that that program should be doing each week, isn't there, Kenny? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's that that program is always missable. Yeah. And when and a show is missable... It shouldn't be. It should be, you know, it should be must-see viewing. It's like, this is your follow-up to Dynamite. Mm-hmm. These are, uh, okay, might not have all the big stars on, but there's a lot of stars on there. And these are going to be the people who are going to be headlining Dynamite next year or the year after. So, I mean, the, you need to give your audience a reason to tune into Rampage. So, yeah, I mean, you know, for, for me, I remember uh, in the period of like 2014, 2015, I rarely watched SmackDown because nothing ever happened on it. It was always because by that point, it was everybody was on every show and they would do everything storyline-wise on Raw for the most yeah. part. They wouldn't re- so, you know, SmackDown became a very missable show for a couple of years. And most of the people I know didn't really watch it. 
But then when they did the brand split in 2016, it rejuvenated the show again. And since then, lots of stuff happens on SmackDown. So it's become... And you, the show has to be something where if you don't see it, you've missed something. You know, like... Yeah. The, the best example for Rampage should really be what WWF did with Sunday Night Heat in the 90s. Because, you know, we didn't get it in the UK. But every Raw, you'd have these sort of clips of what happened on Heat. Because that was the precursor and the lead-in to what was going to happen tonight on Raw. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what they should do. They should have Rampage be a show where, you know, it, people, things happen. There's just consequences to things. There's uh, angles that, you know, you make people regret that they missed it. So uh, we'll see if they do that. But anyway, let's talk about Raw. Um, so obviously the DX reunion was one of the parts of Raw that was going to be on. And I mean, the thing is, it was just kind of harmless and pointless, which compared to previous DX reunions, it's probably an upgrade, really, compared to, you know, the previous incarnations of it where current roster guys have just kind of been fodder for them. We didn't get that this time. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I mean, at the beginning, I was like, oh, you know, DX were backstage and Triple H was there and they were doing the, you know, Triple H is saying, you know, don't, you know, don't talk about your genitals. And Road Dog says, so I can't say penis. And then there was all this swearing that was bleeped. And I was thinking, oh, no, you know, hopefully <laughs> this is not going to continue throughout the show. And then there was like four rubber chickens there. And then we had the choking the chicken joke. And happily, it was it was over. You know, it didn't last very long. It didn't overstay its welcome. Um, and then they appeared in the last segment of the show. And, you know, and that was fine as well. It was, it was you know, they just did like a version of, um, you know, the, um, the old speech. You know, Road Dog referred to them as the geriatric X. You know, they did their old routine. X Pac uh, gave a shout out to China at the beginning as well. Yeah. So that was, that was really nice. And Michael, Sean Michael said, but if they were if they were out there again in twenty five years, that someone should put them out of their misery. <laughs> so it's an acknowledgement that it was just a little bit of fun, you know. It was these were guys who were just, you know, it was a little bit of nostalgia, you know, a nod to what they used to be. And at the end of the day, Kenny, these are the guys running the show now. So I mean, I mean, it would have sent a dreadful message to the locker room and to the wrestling fans at large and the industry. Mm-hmm. If the guys that are actually in charge of NXT and the whole damn company were there, you know, burying the, the current stars of the show. I mean, so, I mean, I thought it was a very disciplined approach to it. I thought it was, for what it was, I thought it was fine. Well, because I don't know, I don't know if there's an example of an act in wrestling who through mythology have been made out to be so much bigger and much more of a bigger impact than they actually were to wrestling than DX. Like if you think about it now, I mean, you know, the in, in the kind of if you if you didn't watch in the 90s like we did and know your stuff, you would think DX was a you know 20 times as big a group as the NWO was. You know, that's yeah. kind of what and it's kind of almost impressive how much they've managed to kind of pedal this narrative of how huge DX were when obviously they were a big part of the show in 1998 or whatever, but you know, the Godfather was a big part of the show at (laughs) points. I'm not saying they were the Godfather, but you know, people, they were part of the show, but they weren't, people weren't only coming to the show to see DX. They were part of the smorgasbord. And it's, it's kind of fascinating to me that, you know, we're now 25 years later and they've 
they've managed to convince all these kind of younger fans that this is, you know, they were the big thing back in the day. Well, it is. I mean, they were pretty big, let's face it, in late 97, um, because Shawn Michaels was part of the act and he was one of the headliners. Um, But in 98, after Michaels' retirement, um, they were more of a mid-level act and they were never headliners really ever. And they had very few matches that you could point to and say, oh, you, you've got to watch that match. Oh, that was tremendous. I mean, maybe Triple H versus The Rock at SummerSlam 98. There weren't many other matches that DX had that were really amazeballs, were there? No, no. And they didn't tend to do a lot of, like, you know, six-mans that were that memorable or anything. No. And you would think, looking, what you know, why weren't there more matches they had that were really good? And there just weren't that many. But I mean, you know, and then Sean and Triple H had those awful reunion reunion runs in like 2006 with the Spirit <laughs> Squad for like six months. Yeah, and then the 2009 one with Hornswog and all that. So I mean, just I think when you're a long time fan, you're just like you're a bit sick of it. But do you know what? They didn't attack any current talent, so that is an upgrade from what <laughs> they've done before. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, also, I mean, I, obviously, I wrote about DX in I think it was the latest issue, wasn't it, Kenny? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I went through it, and I spent a long time on that question. I've got to say, and and I just thought, mm. and but then you're thinking, well, actually, DX were a big deal in their own way, and like, and you think, well, why were they a big deal? And I think a lot of it was the chemistry between them, and it just worked. Um, and also, you know, th- th- this was the act that Triple H became part of. And while he was a member of DX, we're like, yeah, this guy could be a star. Because prior to DX, he was just another mid-level player that people were getting sick of because he just wasn't getting over, you know, despite numerous opportunities and title reigns and all these other things, King of the Ring and all the other carry-on, you know, feuds with Foley and all that, and big wins over Foley as well. But he just wasn't really showing any sort of growth as a performer you know, he was, you know, it's a little bit of growth and yeah, it was, but you were, you didn't really look at Triple H or Hunter Hearst Helmsley and say, oh, this guy's a main eventer. But after he'd been in DX or rather after he'd led DX for a while, you start, you started to come to terms with the fact that, yeah, this guy's got something to offer this company and he could be a lot bigger than he is. Indeed. Indeed. Um, well, listen, let's talk about the other stuff that happened on Raw. And um, we had the bloodline appearing at the beginning of the show with all of them. And, uh, you know, Sami Zayn wants to take care of Jey Uso because Jey Uso is, you know, really upset. Um, And it kind of leads us to, you know, Sami Zayn doing the very patronising, you know, we all love you very much to Jey. And, uh, you know, Roman Reigns agrees that, you know, Sami, you should handle the Jey situation. Um, Matt Riddle ends up coming out saying he wants a piece of Roman Reigns, but obviously he lost the last match, which meant he cannot challenge him again. Yeah. So he said, you know, I'll face another one in the bloodline. And uh, we end up finding out that so Jay sort of nominated Sammy and said, Oh, you should do it. You should you should be the one to do it. Um and then Roman Reigns leaves with uh Heyman and uh Solo Sokoa and says, you know, Jay, you need to make sure he wins this. You need to make sure he does well. And of course, in the main event match, Matt Riddle beats Sami Zayn because Jay holds Jimmy back from getting involved. So the story continues, and um, it was it, it was great. The whole thing was great. I mean, the, I, I saw someone say this on Twitter, and I thought it was just a great way to say it. They said, Sami Zayn is getting that. He is getting the 
the most popular member of a sitcom entrance pop. <laughs> and that's what he's now starting to get is that when he comes out, people are just going crazy. And it's just, I never saw it coming, but he absolutely deserves it. Yeah, he does. And it's a tough, it's a tough gig for him when you think of what he's got to do here. He's got to balance. He's the guy with the plates, you know, and the sticks, and he's got a lot of things to balance here. And um, he's out there with all these amazing narrators like Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns. And he had, he decided, he like cut Reigns off. It's like, well, you know, let me handle the J situation when Roman Reigns was going to handle the, the J situation. And Reigns is like, yeah, you know, be my guest. And uh, so then he's, he's like patronizingly telling Jay that he needs to, you know, he needs to like, you know, he needs to cool it. You know, he needs to be a cool guy instead of this hothead. And um, he's talking to all the other members of the bloodline. And um, and then Riddle comes out and yeah, Zayn's got to hold this together. And then Jay pipes up and, and uh, says, well, why don't you face Riddle? After Riddle had challenged Reigns and Reigns said, listen, a deal's a deal. You know, we're not having another match. That was the... That was a stipulation you agreed to when we had the match over the summer that if you lost, you wouldn't receive another tower shot at me. So that was nice storyline continuity there. That all made sense. Um, and then Zayn in the end was almost sort of left with no option. Yeah, in order to save face, he had to agree to the match with Riddle, but did so reluctantly. And then, of course, that led to the conversation backstage between Reigns um, and Jay and Reigns and Solo Sokoa and Paul Heyman were leaving in the that big vehicle they've got. I mean, that vehicle's enormous, Kenny. Right, that was an driving, SUV and a half, right? I mean, can you imagine driving that on some of the roads in the UK? I mean, you wouldn't get very far, would you? Imagine trying to park that on some of our car parks. It'd never fit in the gap. So, no. <laughs> um, you know, when we went to, to Dallas this year... Uh, Ollie decided that he was going to hire this massive SUV for us to drive around in, and it was so big. I mean, I, I, and it was automatic, so I could have technically driven. I was like, "There's no chance I'm driving this thing," and it was so big that you couldn't fit in a lane on the highway. Wow! You would have to just be like in a in a, a lane and a third kind of thing. So yeah, I think this is this seat. This looked like the model almost. Oh I yeah, know. I mean it's like what they drive the president around in, isn't it? You know, it's, <laughs> it's absolutely enormous. But he says, "No, Jay, you've got to stay here and make sure Sammy wins." And then, as you said, Sammy lost a riddle. So hell to pay on SmackDown, I would think. Yeah, I think so. I think it's gonna. And, and you know, the thing is, you can kind of relax now and enjoy the story, which we weren't really able to do before. Because we, we would always kind of think, oh, when are they going to pull the rug out? Yeah. But, you know, we don't have that that to worry about anymore. So good oh, stuff. Oh, no, you can see this Sammy thing is going to, you know, I was thinking, oh, please don't blow it off early. You know, there's so many roads that this can travel, mm-hmm. so many directions it can go in, you know, before the inevitable. We know how this is going to end. Of course we do. But it's the journey, you know. I mean, we don't want that destination to, we don't arrive at the destination before, I mean, I think they can probably spin this out until the end of the year. I yeah. would think. I think Sammy and Sammy and Roman at the Rumble could be great. Yeah. If they build it the right way. Um, elsewhere, we saw Rey Mysterio get a win over Chad Gable on the show. But the big story was Dom and Rhea Ripley who came out during the match. And after the match, Dom is in there begging for Rey to hit him. And the crowd are just going ballistic. Um, and, you know, he ends up slapping his dad. Ray then runs the ropes and takes out Damian Priest. Finn Balor comes in, and Ray's kind of beating him up as well. But then, of course, Dominic 
gets involved, clotheslines Ray, and uh, he waits. He waits till he's getting up, and then Ray turns to leave. Dom hits him again. Ripley holds him in position. Dom does the six one nine, and then when we come back from the break, Ray's crying at ringside. I mean. When was the last time you had an authentic story like this, Finn, where where it was a real situation, heightened, obviously, that you could kind of get behind? I mean, this is just working so well. It is. And um, I believe that Ray initially was reluctant to do the split, you know. But, I mean, I don't know why, you know, and I'm glad that he's wholeheartedly thrown himself into this, which is what every wrestler should do when they are given a storyline even if it's one that they're not particularly keen on, it's like, well, give it your best shot. This is the direction of travel. You're not the booker. You're a star and you're paid to do a job. And this is what your superiors want you to do. And, you know, you've got to put your faith in the people that you work for. And if you've got no faith in them, then you need to go and work somewhere else. So, I mean, yeah, this is, this is um, you know, this is working really well. Ray was there in tears at his son's betrayal. Um even when, you know, Don was there, slap, gave him a, what a slap. He gave him a good slap in there. So and then he kept friends. saying, hit me. Now, someone needs to set this to the uh, Ian Dewey and the Blockhead song. <laughs> hit me with your rhythm stick, which features a line, hit me. And someone needs to set this angle to that song. There you go. You know, the, so, song yeah, I mean? you know the song I mean, Kenny? Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, that um, could work really well. Someone needs to set this angle to that song. It worked tremendously. But, I, uh, I do yeah, want so, to say that, you know, just to your point about, you know, why Ray was, you know, why why was he hesitant to do it? Maybe it was just under Vince. Well, maybe. That, you know, how many times has Vince started a storyline and then he just stops it? You know, so I think that that was maybe the hesitation. But, I mean, I never in a million years imagined this would be as good as it is. I didn't see it coming. I thought maybe it'll be okay, it'll be decent. But I mean, the crowd, that moment when Ray finally hits Dom is is going to be amazing. It's just going to yeah, be a great moment. It is. And and again, it's like the Sammy thing we were just talking about. It's like, don't rush this. You know, give this time. You know, be patient. You let this play out in a in the, you know, natural. I mean, it's not like, you know, a typical TV series might be like 10 or 12 episodes where everything has to happen in 12 episodes. Pro wrestling, of course, is a, you know, 365 days a year, or maybe they take a week off at Christmas. But you know what I mean? It's it's just constantly in motion, a never-ending, uh, perpetual series. So you don't need to rush this. You know, let this play out at its own pace. Listen to the crowd. Listen to what they want. And when it feels like it might be running out of steam, then, you know, have Ray attack his son. And as you say, people will go ballistic for it because Dom will deserve it you know it's not like Dom's a kid you know I mean Dom's been doing this for a while now he's experienced he's as we know or at least we believe he's a member of the judgment day of his own free will um I mean he's the one who's been laying into his dad so when his dad finally does retaliate it will be justified uh but I mean when Ray refused to strike his son Dom, you know, uh, nailed him with a forearm, then blasted him with a 619, and that looked really good. And I'm sure this is doing wonders for Dominic's confidence, because this must have been a very, I don't know whether the word is terrifying, um, but, you know, there must have been some trepidation. There must have been, you know, his heart must have been going, you know, his heartbeat must have been going pretty fast when he was told that this is what we're going to do. And this is an entirely new thing. 
and there was a possibility it wouldn't have worked. So he must be just elated that this is as work. This is working as well as it is. Yeah, hundred percent. And long may it continue. Um, elsewhere on the show, so we had the after this all happened, we had the Judgment Day in the ring, and Finn was talking about you know a beaten edge and all that stuff, and then. AJ Styles comes out because uh, you know Balor says he's got a, a decision to make, and AJ comes out and he basically says, you know, he needs, he, 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 you know, the time comes a time when a man needs friends, he needs family, and then he gets on one knee, him and Balor hug, and then he eventually turns from smile to straight face and said, "I wasn't talking about you." And out come Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson to a big pop and a holy shit chant, which mm. you know a company's hot when Gallows and Anderson are getting that reaction. <laughs> uh, yeah, just I mean, Cal Anderson still still holds a title in New Japan, doesn't it? The never is it the never open title? I think he holds. Yeah, so I mean, presumably he's going back to lose the belt because they appeared. Luke Gallows and Cal Anderson appeared on the Crystal Palace shows, didn't they? Yes, a month in London. So um, I mean, I know they finished up in uh, Impact. Actually, it was late August, but they're. Final match, which was against the Motor City Machine Guns. I think that aired on the September 15th episode of uh, Impact Wrestling or Impact the Show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, presumably Cal Anderson will be returning to New Japan to drop the belt. You know, I know they were, you know, this was obviously a surprise and returning to New Japan, uh, returning to WWE. I'm not sure if Luke Gallows will be wrestling for New Japan again, but surely Cal Anderson will be. Um, you know, surely that's part of the deal. Because you would think that Anderson isn't going to want to burn that bridge just in case this WWE thing doesn't yeah. work out. He's been here before, hasn't he, after all, Kenny? Yeah, I, I do just want to say it's the never open weight championship. Just so everyone's got a okay. name right. But yeah, I mean, the thing with Anderson and how you'll know if things are different is remember the last time they were there and Anderson just got pinned in every match? Like it was just Carl Anderson would always be the guy to get pinned all the time. So hopefully they protect him a little bit more if he is going to be an act. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying the guy shouldn't get beat, but don't make him the guy who gets beat every single match that he's in. Um, but we'll exactly. see. I mean, he shouldn't be the designated jobber in every match. No. So I mean, I, I mean, look, there it's it's people for AJ to be with. Maybe this will be the thing that makes AJ Styles interesting again for the first time since the Boneyard match um, <laughs> two and a half years ago. Um, <laughs> I mean, at this point, I want to try anything. Bring Wendy back. Bring anybody. Just to make what about speak. Claire Lynch? <laughs> Claire Lynch. Well, it's funny. I just, I totally forgotten about this. So Sondra and I are recording later today, Retro Smackdown. And it's the October 10th, 2002 Smackdown. And I'd totally forgotten that Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar bring out a woman called Tracy. And she says that she'd been sleeping with The Undertaker. And he comes out and she's like, you know, Mark, you slept with me for three months and you never told me that uh, that you had a wife and all this. And, <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, Tracy, you get clear Lynch vibes. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I mean, Gallows and Anderson, it's it's more people, but as people, you know, are going to be with AJ Styles, I guess time will tell to see how this plays out. Yeah, I mean, they need some some promo time to Gallows and Anderson because when they were pummeling the Judgment Day, of course, this led to a big brawl between Styles and Gallows and Anderson and the Judgment Day. People weren't really that into Gallows and Anderson, so we need some character development with these guys. Mm-hmm. We need to, you know, the audience needs to be given a reason to care about them. 
So hopefully we'll hear from them next week on Roy in a promo segment, um, you know, and, and something more than like, you know, 40 second thing. Hopefully we'll, we'll get some, you know, some put some meat on the bones here of Gallows and Anderson and this act, you know, with their styles. It wasn't the, we were almost out of time, but the last thing I want to talk about is obviously the big return of Brock Lesnar, who came out when Bobby Lashley was in the ring ready for his match with Seth Rollins for the US title. Uh, Lesnar comes out and basically does his lap and uh, then uh, grabs Lashley, F5s him, crowd chant one more time, he does another one, then he puts him in a Kimura lock, then he uh, you know, leaves... And this allows Seth to come out. Lashley, obviously, is the valiant babyface, so he wants to fight. And um, they have a two-and-a-half-minute match where Seth does all these moves. The opening sequence of the match where Bobby Lashley runs at Seth for a spear and runs into a pedigree was such a great spot. Yeah. It was so... And it it wasn't one of these spots that... That, to me, was a ten times better spot than, like, a triple lucha flip thing that somebody, you know... Gets Spanish fly from the top rope. Yeah, and then it goes into a Canadian destroyer and they jump up and all that shit. This was like a great spot, like a yeah. really clever, clever spot. So, um, and obviously the injury did mean that Seth Rollins was able to do two stomps to Lashley's head and the second one got him the win and Rollins wins the title. So it feels like Lashley and Lesnar are heading to Riyadh in November. But uh, what did you make of Lesnar's return and the title switch? Yeah, I mean, you know, Lesnar came out in double denim with an ACDC t-shirt on. So, I mean, that's always <laughs> amusing, isn't it, when people wear double denim? And, yeah. um, I mean, it was, I don't know whether I was surprised or not when he turned on Lashley. And he didn't, as you said, people were there chanting one more time after he'd hit the, the was it the F5 or the German suplex? So, I, didn't really, I mean, people like Lesnar. So it is a bit of a problem turning him heel. I'm not sure if this is something that they can actually do in the States. But yeah, this all felt like a device to set up a match at Crown Jewel, which I'm sure this will, because backstage after the match, after Lashley had lost the US title to Seth Rollins, uh, Lashley uh, challenged Lesnar to face him next week on Raw. So I imagine that's when they'll announce that they're wrestling at Crown Jewel. Um, but I, mean, I thought this was a really good way of getting the belt on Rollins. Uh, while saving face for Lashley. And it was a really good way of Rollins moving on from his loss to Matt Riddle two nights earlier at Extreme Rules. So I think this ticked a lot lot of boxes here. I thought it was a a really exciting little match. Um, You know, Lashley took this pasting from Lesnar and the officials came out and led him, they were leading him backstage. And um, Rollins said um, that Lashley was uh, a disgrace, you know, to his country and blah, blah, blah. And in the end, you know, Lashley's like, and he runs at him and they did the spot that you just mentioned. So I thought Lashley really did put up a lot of resistance before he was pinned, given how much of a ferocious beating Lesnar had just inflicted upon him. So I thought overall it was really well done, yeah. Um, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I mean, Lashley and Lesnar's a big match for for Crown Jewel, and um, you know, another another stellar Raw. You know, it was a really hot show. Loads of stuff happened, and um, SmackDown is going to be the return of Bray Wyatt, so we'll be talking about that next week. So, um, yeah, yeah, and Kevin Patrick was uh, I thought it was rather bland on commentary, but I think you know you've got to give him a chance. You've got to give him a few weeks to I find. Thought he was, his... I thought he was okay. Yeah, and I think to be okay in week one is is a win. Sometimes I think the problem with him is I think he's just a bit of a bland person. 
And if you, you know, if you're just not a very exciting person, that's a problem, isn't it? Uh, yeah, no, it is. I mean, you know, in a month, we'll know. If he's not, if he's not got more exciting in a month, he's probably never going to. And also, just finally, before we moved on, during the Bailey versus Candice LeRae match, Patrick said, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, after LeRae made the cover uh, on Bailey, Patrick said, what a manoeuvre. <laughs> that guy's gone, Patrick. He's retired. We're in the next regime now. Uh, that's very funny. Well, listen, we'll be back on what's going down in Tuesday to discuss Kevin's second night on the job. And um, SmackDown, we'll talk some AEW, but that is all the time we've got for today. So we hope that you've enjoyed our podcast here. And do check out the new issue of the magazine, issue 26, up for pre-order right now inside the magazine.com. So much stuff in there. Um, and pay, head over to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash inside the ropes to get bonus content for the Finn and I. We're about to review issue 231 of uh, Power Slam, the final PS50. We're about to talk about that. Uh, I thought, Kenny, we were going to have another look at issue 230. Oh, well. so we were. So, yeah, that's that's true. We're not looking at 231 today. We're actually looking at 230 because we're looking at the history of the WWE title. Yeah, and, and I, I kind of to... went on a bit of an epic rant last week and we didn't really have time to cover the magazine properly. Yeah, and I yeah, so and and I and I need to get a whiteboard to remember this stuff. So that's that's on my Christmas list. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for all your support, and we'll talk to you soon. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 